Well, good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? You doing okay? Is everybody awake? Well, I can fix that. Um, that's my joke. Okay, I'm done. All right. You know, I do want to say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not good at not communicating things that come to me in the moment. So I just want to say, man, how awesome it is that we have such wonderful folks that lead us in worship. And I'm not talking about me because, you know, I do that. But man, what a great group of folks that we had up here this morning. High quality. <laughs> high quality music, but more importantly, high quality individuals, people who love Jesus and live for Jesus. And of course, your, your pastor back there holding it down in the rhythm section. He's a multi-talented guy. That guy can do anything, man. When I grow up, I want to be Jose. Except I'm kind of like two Jose's. And if, you know, to balance the sliders out, if you just like kind of take the excitement down like 30% and raise the cynicism about 40%. That's about, that's about right. We've been in the, uh, in the let's go theme and um, it's, it's just a, it should be, it has been for me, it's been a continual challenge uh, to my life and to the things that, um, though I'm a pastor or whatever, whatever that means, you know, there's things that we let settle uh, in our lives. And so the let's go theme has really been a continual reminder and a challenge that we're always on mission. Um, and Jose's been talking about that, you know, and I think about myself and I think sometimes uh, this would be a good introspect for all of us is uh, you think, am I a let's go person? You know, think of that most, the most let's go gal or let's go dude that's in your life. You know, the cool kids call it YOLO, right? The person that jumps first, the person that does the thing that everybody wants to do, but you know you're gonna like fall and break your leg, uh, but you know, everybody wants to have fun doing it. You know, the person that does that, there's literally an entire genre of internet videos dedicated to this, fail videos where people just do things, right? They're just going for it. And they're not worried about the consequence necessarily. They're just going for it. Of course, it's not always a good thing. You end up with serious life-threatening injuries and explosions and things like that. That's not exactly what we're talking about today. But that, that idea, am I a person who's ready to go? Am I a person who's ready to carry the gospel when prompted? Am I someone who's ready to, to take the jump? Am I someone who's like that? Oh, and even if the answer is yes, am I like that in every part of my life? A lot of times we think that a certain part of our life is enough. We can, we can, we can make the jump here and we can do this thing, but it doesn't translate into everything else. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We've had these concentric circles that, that Jose's been talking about. And today... We're talking about being witnesses in the workplace. This is our Judea. This is our community. How can we be witnesses and represent Jesus as we go about our day-to-day -day work? As you know, in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, it tells us that we will have power when the Spirit of God comes on us, and we'll be witnesses. And that's, these are the areas where we'll be witnesses of Christ. And the question is, how, how do we do that? I think that's always the question in every part 
of our lives. How exactly do we become witnesses? And really, it starts with who we are rather than the details of what we do. Those of us who are involved in the worship community or the creative artist community at Cypress Creek Church, you've probably heard me ad nauseum say, it's more important who you are rather than what you do. Because the truth of the matter is, whatever it is that you do, whatever your occupation is, there is an infinite number of people who can do those set of tasks. And I know that might hurt your pride a little bit, but I promise you could find a thousand people to stand behind this microphone every week and they'll play a good song, you know? And, and, and they'll sing a good song and they'll say the right things, right? You can find thousands of them. But are we people who actually believe the things that we say that we believe and we live out a life that follows Christ unabashedly and unashamed in all circumstances in our life. The task that we do are of little eternal value save that they help us to propagate the gospel. Does that make sense? It starts with who we are. You know, I've done work in this town. I've done work with people here. There's somebody here I've done work with before. Doug, are you here still? Where are you at? There's Doug. I've done work with Doug before. Doug, you're still alive, right? That's good. When we worked together, now we didn't script this. I just asked him if I could, if I could call him out, okay? So this might not turn out the way I hope it does, you know? <laughs> Doug, when we worked together, was I perfect? Close. Close. See, we didn't script this. <laughs> uh, I'll give you the 20 later. Uh, close, but no, I was not perfect. Did I take responsibility for myself? Did I treat the subs that worked with me with care? And are we friends? Yeah. You see, it doesn't, I don't think that I should be or that type of relationship should be the anomaly. I think it should be the norm for us. And I don't think I'm uniquely qualified to be able to say I went through a construction project with somebody and we're still friends on the other end. But the truth of the matter is that's not very common, is it? How many in here have had construction projects where they've dealt with somebody and by the end of it, you want them to go away <laughs> forever? How many of you are contractors or builders who have done work with somebody and you want that customer to lose your phone number? <laughs> right? I think it should be the norm that we're friends afterwards. I think it should be the norm that I don't pretend like I'm perfect, but I take responsibility for myself. And I do what's right, even if it costs me money. That's for free, that wasn't written on the notes. I had to print my notes in blue because I ran out of black ink. Okay, <laughs> details that don't matter. <laughs> it starts with who we are, not necessarily what we do. So rather than get into the weeds of all the, the little things about what we do, you know, how can you be a witness in your workplace? Or you can put a little scripture on a sticky note in your cubicle so that when everybody comes by or when the mail person runs by, they can see it and be like, oh, that's nice, you have a scripture. Where'd you get that? Oh, I got it off the Caleb site. I put the meme up, it's awesome, right? We're not gonna talk about stuff like that. We're gonna talk about a few things. I've got a couple points. Both points have two parts to them and then we're gonna tell some stories and then you can, you can leave if you're not asleep, okay? 
It's going to be great. The first thing is being a witness of Christ in our workplace requires personal transformation over passive identification. When we're personally transformed by Jesus, it's going to change who we are in everything that we do. Personal transformation is a deep personal resolve yielded to the Holy Spirit that allows God to continually correct us toward the way of Christ. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about doing everything right every time. But having a continual posture of being transformed by the Holy Spirit so that when you're going about your day-to-day task in your workplace, you are different. You see, the enemy in our day and age is not so excessively worried with all his minions and his, his, uh, his plans to destroy us. He's not so worried about whether we know God or not. Because he knows who God is. The Bible tells us that he and the demons, they know who Jesus is. They know that he's God. And they tremble at the sound of his voice. Do we tremble? Hmm. You see, the enemy doesn't mind if we know God so long as we are rendered useless. So long as we can be distracted by upward mobility. So long as we can be distracted by the acquiring of things and status. So long as we can be distracted by all the things that the world offers us. If you remember, when Jesus was fasting, The enemy took Jesus to a high place over the city and he looked over the entire earthly kingdom and he whispered into Jesus' ear at one of his weakest points, all this can be yours. All you have to do is bow the knee one time. That's all you gotta do. Appealing to Jesus' humanity. That's what we're posed with every day. An opportunity given to us by the enemy to just bow the knee as we step into our workplace. Those of you who are students, your school is your workplace. Your classroom is your cubicle. That's the opportunity that we have. Just one, one nod that the enemy is in control over that part of our lives. That's a passive identification is what that is. Passive identification is when we allow ourselves to just have that nominal Christian tag whenever it's expedient. We're Christian when we come to church. We're Christian when we do the ministry things. It's a passive identification. When instead we need to be radically changed and radically committed people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit in every word and empowered by the Holy Spirit in every deed. Again, that doesn't mean that we will get it perfect. But when we take responsibility for ourselves, imagine, imagine if everybody in your workplace or in your school took responsibility for all their actions and all their directives, good and bad. Imagine how how much more pleasant of an environment that would be. Now, that's them, right? What if they did that? But what if I did that? 
What if you did that? What if instead of bowing to the the pull of upward mobility, what if we took the downward mobility model of Christ? Who continually told us that we must put others before ourselves. In Philippians chapter two is where he teaches us to have the same attitude of Christ. That's where we step under. It's counterculture. And it's not popular. It's opposed to our nature where we simply identify with Christ and we get that get out of jail free card and then we blend into the background. It's like a chameleon. And we passively sit there and let things happen. You might say to yourself, oh, well, I don't participate in not godly actions while I'm in the workplace, while I'm out in the community, whatever it is that I'm doing in the community, while I'm yelling at the barista for getting my drink wrong. Breve latte, heavy cream. Not half and half, heavy cream. Because it's better. And then the barista says, yeah, but my steamer won't steam the heavy cream. I'm like, well, you got a cruddy steamer. Come on, get the, put the heavy cream in there. What's wrong with you, you know? Sorry, personal pet peeve. <laughs> we passively sit there like a chameleon and we just blend into the environment. I don't think that's what Jesus calls us to. You see, the problem is that the great commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28 can be considered a collective call, but it's not only that. And my exhortation, I'm not saying this is absolutely true, but my exhortation is that it is not a collective calling. It's a personal charge for you and me to go, for you and me to make disciples, for you and me to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Great Commission is. And so the, the passive identification is not godly. The passive identification, the nominal Christian. I'm not talking about salvation. That's up to God. That's between you and God. I'm talking about how we live our lives out. But I can tell you that the things that we do, though they are not who we are, they're the evidence of what's inside of us. They're the evidence of whether we are personally transformed or if we're passively identified. The second way that we are witnesses in our workplace is that we have consistent character over dualistic membership. Consistent character over dualistic membership. What does that mean? I don't know. Dualistic is a cool word. Dualistic membership. What I mean when I say that is a different group means a different me. That's a dualistic membership. I'm a member of the church, I'm a member of the workplace, member of a poker group, political affiliation, my knitting circle, my bunco group, whatever school I go to, that's a group. 
My kids, super eternal, ultra extreme awesomeness, Death Viper Elite International Travel Sports Dominance Club. I'm a different person there. You know the team, you know, it's got the best players from the area on, you know, it's a club team. Costs eight and a half million dollars to be a member. They lose every game, you know. A different group is a different me. That's what a dualistic membership is. And guys, I don't think I have to go on and on about how destructive and toxic that is both to our lives and offensive that is to the cross of Christ. When we specifically choose to have inconsistent character in order to fit the mold of whatever we are around. This is diametrically opposed to what Paul tells us, that we are all things to all people, right? You hear that, right? Oh, be all things to all people. So we'll go over here and hang out, act like them, and it's cool. But there's always something tied to that. What's the rest of that? All things to all people in hopes to in hopes to win some. It's a totally different thing. Consistent character. You know, it's a joke and it should be a joke because it's hilarious and I tend to be, those who are close to me know how ridiculous I am. Uh, it's, it's, I always wear the black V-neck, right? Well, there's a reason I always wear the black V-neck. And I don't, I'm not, those who know me closely also know that I'm not a super hyper spiritualized everything sort of dude. But I wear this black V-neck every day. One, because it's simple. That's where it starts. I don't have to make that decision in the morning. Right? Two, black hide stains very well. Uh, and three, but not the least of which is this is me no matter where I'm at. I chose this particular V-neck this morning. Okay? It does not stand out from other V-necks because it's the same brand and it's the same color as my other 16 to 22 V-necks that I have <laughs> in my drawer. But this V-neck has a drop of silicone on the shoulder over here from one of my jobs where I was having to glue something up with silicone. And right here, it's got a stain right there. That's a stain for cooking dinner for some friends, a new family that we met. And these jeans, though you cannot see them, see the stains, they have stains on them from serving the college students last night. Cooking them, cooking them dinner at the spring retreat. What you see is what you get. When I'm the chef in the kitchen, when I'm the contractor on site, and those of you who worked with me, this is what I look like, right, Doug? Yeah. I show up like this, you're like, what is this guy doing? You know? <laughs> what, did he just come away from leading worship and now he's swinging a hammer? This guy's an idiot. What is this guy doing, you know? Consistent character, my friends. We have to be Jesus followers wherever we are. 
the same wherever we go. A life that is primarily concerned with honoring, obeying God and truly making disciples. Does it mean that we always make the best decision? No. Does it mean that we don't make mistakes in our character? No, that's not what it means. But it means that we're primarily concerned with honoring God and obeying by truly making disciples of the people around us. And when I talk about making disciples around us, and I talk about spreading the gospel and the Great Commission, I'm not talking about trying to convince people who are already Christians to transfer their membership to our church from another one. I'm talking about connecting personally with not yet believers and presenting them with the gospel. The famous St. Francis of Assisi quote, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Yay. My friends, we have to live with consistent character and exemplify Christ in the way that we act. But let me tell you something. It always requires words. How can they hear the gospel if no one preaches it to them? And yes, you preach with, we preach with our lives. We absolutely preach with our lives and our deeds and our actions. And we also preach with our words, with the consistency of our character, with a genuine concern empowered by the Holy Spirit that wants to see people come to know Jesus. Do you know that doesn't depend on you? If, again, our deeds are evidence of what's in us. But what happens with our intentions, what happens with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in us to speak the truth of the gospel in any and every circumstance, particularly in our workplace, which is our main connection with the not yet believer, and in our schools, what makes all of that work is Jesus himself because nobody comes to the Father except he who is drawn. And we have to have the commitment of character to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us how to speak the words without fear of retaliation. And so how does this make any sense? <laughs> how does that really work? How does that translate into a witness for Jesus? I'm gonna tell you a couple of stories. They're gonna be quick. Stories about four different people. That doesn't sound like it's gonna be quick. I promise it'll be okay, all right? You heard me talk about my dad from up here. My dad's funeral in 2010 was an interesting experience for me, and here's why. I'm gonna keep it brief. My dad was not a Bible study leader. My dad could play the guitar and sing really good. He's the one who taught me how to play and taught me how to sing. I never saw him sing in front of a group of people, ever. I asked him to sing with me at my, at my high school baccalaureate one time, and he did, and that was it. That's the only time, right? My dad resisted the calls to be an elder at our church. At every turn, he wanted to get under and support other people. My dad worked hard, he was committed, he had consistent character, he's the one who taught me to do the right thing even if it cost you some money. And at, at my dad's funeral, I mean, he, he did not have this large influence that anybody could see. 
I never saw him teach a Bible study. I never saw him teach a Sunday school class. None of that stuff. And when I showed up at his funeral, my brother allowed me to give the, the eulogy and the sort of message at the funeral. And I wasn't really paying attention that much because I had other things on my mind. And I walked up to the stage to give the eulogy and there were hundreds of people there. And I'm not talking about, you know, when, when people say, when people estimate crowds, they say hundreds because it might've been like 101 people, you know what I mean? I mean, the, the place where I grew up, the, the, the size of the place could hold close to 500 people. And I, I didn't see any empty seats in the place. And we're not great at promoting and <laughs> we didn't invite anybody. And as I got to talk to some of the people that were there, there were people there from the past, people there from the present. And they spoke to my dad's character and how he taught them to love Jesus by the way that he lived and the words that he spoke. I had no idea. I thought he was just a cool dad that like talked about Jesus and stuff, you know? He had gathered sons and daughters from all over the place. I don't even know where those people came from. People that honored him because he'd had an impact on their life and I don't even know where or when or how. My friends, that's someone of consistent character in the workplace. My dad was a worker, not a pastor. I give that example. And so, so what does this mean? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, there's two ways that we can choose. We can choose the way of Peter. Or we can choose the way of Judas. If you know anything about Peter, he was not perfect. Peter did some stupid things. Speak first, deal with the consequences later. That's Peter. Act first, deal with the consequences later. That's Peter. And if you remember, at Gethsemane, the soldiers come to get Jesus and Peter is, he's, he's zealous and he makes all these promises. He had just said, Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison and the grave for you. Jesus, knowing what was gonna happen, said, yeah, sure, that's great, Peter. You're gonna deny me three times before, sun, before the sun comes up, buddy, which Peter couldn't fathom. The soldiers come to get, to get Jesus in Gethsemane and Peter, the fisherman, takes his knife, boom, goes for the ear. I don't know if he was going for the ear, but whatever, he cuts the ear off. Jesus, like I've said before, you've probably heard me say he does the licking stick thing, puts the ear back on, right? And then when he's out, away from the disciples, away from Jesus, I guess Luke and some other, one other guy was there, I can't remember now. When it says in, in scripture that a woman asked him if he knew Jesus, and Peter said, no, I don't know who you're talking about. I mean, historians have told us that that was actually like a, like, like a 13-year-old girl. And he's this grown man that had just said, I'm gonna do all this stuff and I'm awesome and blah, 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 blah. And this little girl walks up to him and says, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? He's like, no, 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 no. Because fear entered in. 
So Peter wasn't perfect. He didn't live a consistent character. He had a dualistic mind at the time. He had fear had entered in. And then when the rooster crowed the third time after he denied, it said that Jesus looked at him. And when Jesus looked at him, he remembered. And what did Peter do? He says he went away and he wept bitterly. He took on the conviction in his heart and in his life. And as we know, because we know the fast forward part of that. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. And when Peter's time came at Pentecost, when there was no one knew what was going on and all the other disciples were scared, they turned and they looked at Peter and that was Peter's time. And he stepped up and he spoke the truth of who God was. He took the risk. You know, it wasn't a great idea to be a Jesus follower back then. You could get killed. That's why Peter was afraid. Jesus had just been killed. But when it came his time, he repented. Or we can go the way of Judas. We can say, hey, the world out there is too hard. It's too hard to follow Jesus. I'm going to bow. I'm going to bow, but I'm going to take the money. Are you going to bow and take the money? Maybe, maybe we're not perfect. Maybe you're thinking, I wish this guy would shut up right now. Maybe you haven't been perfect in your workplace. Choose the way of Peter. Let the Holy Spirit convict you of that and then do something different. Don't choose the way of Judas. Don't bow down and take the money. You know what's on? I listen to talk radio stations. Do you know what's on right now on talk radio stations? Financial advising shows. Now, like I say, I don't like to draw unrealistic, super spiritualized conclusions. But we could be sitting there taking the money, listening to how to invest it, or we could be here learning how to be a more fervent follower of Jesus. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Let's not bow. One more story and we'll be done. I have a son. His name is Titus. It's very similar to having a feral hog living in your house. <laughs> he's four years old and he's got a lot of energy. When he was two, we were at a sort of a family reunion event. We were, in, we're on the river at, at a place that we'd rented out in Seguin. There in Seguin, they had this dock and it was a two-story dock. The top story was I don't know, just guessing between 15 and 20 feet off the water. And everybody was jumping and everybody was jumping and everybody was jumping and everybody was jumping. And Titus kept saying, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to jump from there. I want, I want to do that. That looks great. I want to do that. And of course, everybody's like, mm, don't do that. Don't do that. See, I'm unaware that he was wanting to jump, right? Because there's no telling what I was doing. Probably taking a nap, most likely, because I'm not really an amphibian. You know, kind of a land mammal, you know. <laughs> I'll go on your boat, but, you know. Um, you just got to make sure to put the cooler on the other side, so. Uh, things that large people think about. Anyways, um, 
So Titus, he was wanting to jump, he was wanting to jump, wanting to jump. So fast forward, I'm finally out there, I'm in the water. I've got, I've got, the, I've got the life jacket. You ever done the life jacket diaper? Y'all ever done that? That's awesome. I've got the life jacket diaper and I'm just chilling out there in the river, you know. And I finally catch that Titus wants to do that. And I'm like, well, go for it. And of course, every sensible person around there, which is mamas and grandmas and aunts, are like, no, I don't, that's a horrible idea, which most likely, right? But I was like, no, go ahead, Titus, you can do it, man. You can do it. If you want to do it, do it. And this guy, who has no idea what fear is at two years old, he gets up there and one of his sisters is next to him and he gets to the edge and he's right there on the edge. I call him Tito. That's what I call Titus. Tito's right there on the edge. You know, and he's looking down. He starts to have, the, you can see it on his face. He's like processing, you know? Not real quick, but he's processing. The look of terror. And he starts to understand maybe what fear is. He kind of looks up. One of his sisters, one of, one of the sisters is like totally a yellow person. And the other sister is someone who's worried about things. And he's kind of getting this up there and he doesn't know what to think. And then he looks down and there I am in the water. I'm there floating it. And I'm like, come on, buddy, you can do it. You don't have to do it, but you can do it. I know you can do it. You'll be, you're going to be just fine. You can do it. And there he is, he's teetering. He's up there forever. It seems like an eternity. You know, and then the, you know, the extended family members start to murmur about my parenting skills and, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on, T, you can do it. And everybody's just kind of like, you know, hoping that he doesn't do it. Right? He's up there, two years old, looks like a wet rat. He's got his little floaties on, you know, Captain America floaties. And he just jumps. Boom. And it had to be an eternity for that kid in the air. And he lands right there in front of me and he goes down under the water, which he hadn't really done much. And he pops back up and he looks at me and the expression on his face was a complete and total blank slate. He had no idea what to think. And right there as his father, I had the opportunity. I could have, I, I, I could have made or broken his life in that moment. And I looked at him and I said, look at what you did. It was awesome. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and he was pumped up and he was ready to go. Right? And he was empowered and he was excited. And he overcame that fear that he had standing up there, the uncertainty that some people are doing this. Is this the right thing to do? These people are saying this thing over here. I don't know what to do. Can I trust my father? Other people are saying different things than what my father says, which was happening in this situation. Can I trust my father? And we all know this could have turned out differently. But in this instance, it did not turn out differently. It turned out in this way. Can I trust my father? Can I make the jump? Can I make the jump? And if I do, what's going to happen? My friends, you can make the jump. Overcome the fear of what's going to happen if you actually become that guy or that gal at your workplace. Of course, I'm not talking about being the annoying Christian person who does annoying Christian things. Okay, we all know what those things are. Don't do those. I'm annoyed by them. Just thinking about them makes me annoyed. Now I have anxiety. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But you can make the jump. 
You can make the jump and be the one with authentic character. You can be the one that speaks up in the boardroom and says, uh, that decision lacks integrity. I don't think we should do that. You can be the one. And then they say, uh, where did you come from? Aren't you the idiot that just did all this other stuff? Didn't you used to do deals like this? Didn't you used to do that? And you can say, you can take the way of Peter. And you can say, yeah, it wasn't right when I did it and it's not right now. And I wanna do something different. You can make the jump. Let's make the jump today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the one who empowers us. You are the one who teaches us how to live for you. Father, teach me and teach us in the room how to be witnesses in our workplace, in our schools, in our community. Teach us how to make good decisions and how to care for people in everything that we do. And Father, I ask you to put on to me and everybody in this room, put inside of us a fire that burns with your compassion. A fire that burns to fulfill your charge in Matthew chapter 28. A fire that changes the way that we act and changes the way that we live out in our Judea, out in our community. And Father, I also pray for our community, our workplaces, our schools, that you will bring an incredible and undeniable move of God in Wimberley and in Hayes County as a result of those both here at this church and in other churches that are empowered by your spirit to make the jump, to live boldly, to love fully. Father, make all of this make sense in our hearts and our minds. Teach us how to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.